Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Pav. And I'm Neil. And welcome to the Top 10 of Anything podcast. Let's start the countdown! 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. We all enjoy a good scare. We all enjoy having the willies put up us. But it's nearly Halloween, so we're going to delve into the genre of ghost movies. Some are disturbing, some horrific, some light-hearted, but all have spooks and ghosts and ghoulies. Here's Neil with his ghoulies and 10 ghost movie facts. Thank you very much, Pav. So, in the 2001 movie 13 Ghosts, the characters needed in the movie to wear special glasses to see the ghosts. In the original 13 Ghosts from 1960, Viewers of the movie needed special glasses to see the ghost. This is one of the only few details from the original that was kept. Oh, <laughs> Francesca Rettondini, I hope I pronounced that right, aptly named Francesca in the 2002 film Ghost Ship, would survive the Costa Concordia sinking some 10 years after the movie. <laughs> the Ring movie was initially promoted as Ring with the same title as the Japanese 1998 version. However, shortly before it was released onto the big screen, it was changed to The Ring. For those who are unaware, Zhuon or The Grudge is heavily inspired by terrifying Japanese mythologies and urban legends. The clearest inspiration for The Grudge is the Onryo. A vengeful, vengeful spirit that wishes to correct the wrongs it endured during a prior life. <laughs> ghost in <Spooky>. 90, <laughs> 1990s Ghost, starring Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore, was the highest grossing movie of 1990, taking just over $505 million worldwide. Sammy Davis Jr. was Tim Burton's first choice for the role of Beetlejuice. Oh, I wasn't even ready for the button then after that fact. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's extraordinary. Yeah. Drew Barrymore auditioned for the role of Carrie Ann in the movie Poltergeist. Spielberg gave it to Heather O'Rourke and cast Barrymore in E.T., which came out a week later. Martin Scorsese includes The Changeling as his top 10 scariest movies of all time. Oh, he oh, forgot the ghosty noise. <laughs> the scary music's run out, that's why. Casper is considered to be the first movie to have a computer-generated lead character. And the original House on Haunted Hill movie featured a gimmick called The Emergo. Theatres would be equipped with special systems that would cause a skeleton to fly over the audience. Charming. Shit, press the wrong button there. That was from Star Wars. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Charming to the <laughs> last. Yeah, whatever. 
yeah. whatever. It was Peter Cushing. He was menacing. When, yeah, and, and Star Wars had a ghost in, didn't it? It so. did, sort of. Anyway, we're here to do top 10 ghost movies, and it's a very mm. special occasion. We've got a full screen here, a full house, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Uh, not only do we have old pod pal Tim Downey with us, but we have what we hope is new pod pal Justin Chubb. Yay! <laughs> Well, fellas, thank you very much for joining us. I loved the fact, if you're watching this on YouTube, you saw the full thespian, uh, all of their range there with those scary sounds. It was a sight to behold. It was amazing. <laughs> thank you very much for that. Uh, so, first of all, I want to talk to you guys about your new podcast. Uh, Tim, we'll start with you at Folklands. Mm -hmm. Where did the idea yes. come from and, uh, and why team up with uh, Mr. Chubb? Well, it all stems from uh, a deep love of one book, one particular book, which in this case is the Reader's Digest book of myths and legends of the British Isles. Uh, it was published in 1973, probably adorned most family bookshelves in the sort of mid, mid to late 70s. It was one of those things that was just kind of a constant. And as a child, I would wander over to the bookshelf you pull off this thing and it's a big book i don't know if you've ever seen one of these things it's like a big chunky book like that it's essentially like a, a gazetteer of myths legend ghost stories haunted byways hollow ways roman roads anything you could possibly possibly imagine was in was in this book and as you can imagine it was just an absolute font of joy and wisdom and mystery um as a child and uh, Justin and I both share the same extraordinary love for that book. And that became our, our cornerstone, if you like, to making this series. Right. So so mm. have you both been interested in doing a podcast anyway on just trying to find a subject? Or, uh, Justin, was, was this what, as soon as you knew this was it, this was it, basically? Yeah, we hadn't really discussed doing anything, but I, as soon as I kind of realised that Tim shared this passion for the same kind of eerie, atmospheric t tales and the idea of kind of going around the country, that was it. We both thought, yes, this is the excuse that we've been waiting for for decades to actually do something, you know. Mm. Yeah. We were talking a little bit before we actually pressed record and before Tim joined us and Neil asked you the question, like, are you a believer? Justin, yes. um, do you want to just say what you what your experience of this, and then we'll ask Tim the same. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I probably have always been very interested and in wanting things to be true. And my family have kind of little. My my grandmother had lots of ghost stories and things that she would constantly tell. And but I I had a spooky experience myself. I was held physically down in a bed in a very, very old Cornish vicarage. It was absolute classic ghost material, but it freaked me out, you know. It suddenly made me reevaluate what a ghost is, that you can have a physical presence, something with actual physical force. So yeah, from that moment on, I it kind of made me think about lots of things very differently. Okay, yeah. right. and, and Tim, uh, are you a believer? Have you had experiences? You know what? I haven't. I I think it's because I so desperately, desperately want to see a ghost or, or a goblin or some sort of headless horseman or something. 
that even if um, I suddenly felt in the room like, oh, there's been a chill, there's been a chill, just any second now, people, there's going to be a presence and it's going to be amazing and it's going to scare the living daylights out of us. Just what? And I think it's that eagerness that makes usually uh, some sort of spirit or entity just go, do you know what? Not today. Not not this one. Not this mm. one. I want I want the guy that no one's going to believe has been, you know, taken up by an alien and then probed. Them's <laughs> the guys you want. <laughs> you don't want someone that's, yes, oh, I can't wait. Too willing to be probed. No. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Surely they have reached the end of probing. Surely. Yes. They must have discovered everything they need to. Yeah. So with that, I'm saying, that I take it that you do believe then. You're just waiting for that experience. Or is that yeah. what you want to confirm oh. your belief? I, I, I'm a believer in as much as I want it to be true. I have yet to be proven. Right. Uh, it's yet to be proved to me that this, in fact, is mm. is true. Um, anything could, else could be like, yeah, I don't know, a, a, a door was left slightly ajar. That slight breeze, I felt, oh, what was, it was, yeah, could have been anything. So I've yet to see, but I will continue looking. Mm. Yeah. I, I said to Justin again before we press record, the one thing I love about the podcast is the fact that it isn't just two people in a studio regaling stories to each other. You're actually basically out in the field and you're mm. at these places and you're recording from these places. So you are getting the atmosphere of these places and i said i was listening to the first episode and you could feel the sort of chills running down because you're saying oh god yeah look at those numbers over there and look at that over there and you're thinking yeah you're actually in the place with you which i think is a great little way of doing it mm. now there's one of the things that we really really wanted to do was to take it out of uh being like an armchair folklorist and reading ghost stories by the fire which is a wonderful thing and what i will continue to do but to actually say, oh, this was this was set in this old church, or oh, there's a legend in this particular part of of a county about a, a lizard or a dragon or a, a hobgoblin. Well, let's go there. Let's mm. go there and just see what it feels mm. like. What people in the area think of that thing? What stories do they still have to tell? Are there any current stories about this? You know, this, this ever rich and still living folklore of our of our country so we just thought yeah let's let's take it out and make it less academic and if it frightens the living daylights out of us well great that's the episode if yeah. we can't find our way back well that's that's great that's the episode and i'll call i'll call my wife to come and get us but that's not the point <laughs> so, so where where what places have you got justin on the map that you are really wanting to go have you got any places you've got certain plans I mean, I think we're, after episode one, we very nicely had an invitation to go up to a haunted Scottish castle and museum on the Moray coast. So, I mean, that's a big expedition, but that would be absolutely fantastic. I mean, I think basically what we're doing, we're basing our adventures on kind of themes and also sort of exploring different counties, different areas. So we're trying to sort of look at, for instance, the next episode is going to be about uh, giants and dragon slayers. So we're kind of taking a couple of legends and going off to explore in Hertfordshire um, and meeting a fantastic author to talk about a specific place. And again, you know, we've got our recording equipment to try and give people a sense of atmosphere going to another spooky church. and. Yeah, I, I think we're open to sort of also going in divergent ways of something, you know, the more we kind of go out and explore, the more people you meet, like a mm. couple of 
months ago, I met this very interesting chap who is a mudlarker on the Thames. So, so he will go out when the tide befits and go and sort through the mud. And he had this little Tupperware box with him and brought out these incredible things. He had a, a gaming token that was nearly a thousand years old mm-hmm. and a little top of a beautifully glazed green pottery, what would have been a money uh, jar that used to be smashed and just thrown away. Mm. So incredible things. And so I think, you know, we're kind of open to exploring other exciting things. But yeah, the basis was let's take a legend or a theme. Let's take an area and see what happens. You said about going to spooky like churches and houses and things. Would you would you consider yourself one of these or both of you people that get scared easily? Oh, I can do. Yeah, definitely. You know, (laughs) (laughs) there's something, you know, when we're talking about the films in a minute, I think that's the sort of funny thing. There's an area where being frightened and reading a ghost story is kind of pleasurable, but and quite cosy as well. Somehow, I don't know. There's a sort of thin line between being completely frightened out of your wits, but also just a pleasurable spine chill yeah no i agree and tim Um, do you get scared easily sorry i get scared easily um probably i'd like to think no but but the answer is probably yes um i would say if anything like this actually happened and i actually did see some sort of house elf or ghost or phantom dog i absolutely think i'll go to pieces (laughs) i I think that's fair enough Thank you, oh. Justin. I will. I will need it. I'll put up. I'll put up like a, a big strong front, but I will literally. Ah, I'll be <laughs> hiding. Uh, I can't wait for that moment when you're. It's actually live. Or, you know, on the podcast. This yeah. is when Tim loses his shit. He's just gone. He's like he's yeah. running down the field, and there's. You know, he's taking his shoes off, and he's just. <laughs> he's just, just gone. Gets, he just yeah. keep going. He, Usain Bolt move out. It's yeah. like the lines of flames from the DeLorean and Back to the Future yeah, just yeah. following Tim as he's running <laughs> over the field. Uh, we will put the link to the podcast in the show notes and I do recommend, uh, there's one episode up at the moment and I can't wait for the next episode so just keep doing what you're doing, chaps, on that. It's fantastic. But the main job for tonight is to work out our top 10 ghost movies. So, Tim, we'll start with you with your number 10, please. My number 10. Okay, so my number 10. Um, now, I had to think long long and hard about this and in what kind of order and what kind of what kind of thing do I want to get across? So this is this one's my number 10. And it's a film called Session Nine. It's by uh, Brad Anderson. It's in 2001. And it stars Peter Mullen as an asbestos remover going into an asylum. I don't know. Do you know? Do you know the movie? I've no. seen it, yeah. Yeah, I do know it, this, yeah. yeah. It's it's a real kind of overlooked gem of a horror film um, because you think it's going to be one thing. You think, oh, right, okay, load of asbestos cleaners going into an asylum. I think I pretty much know how this is going to end. And then it just doesn't give you that. It just becomes quite a dark, psychological. The narrative is very, very fractured. It is way more than the sum of its parts. It's an v- extremely low-budget movie. The payoff is great. 
Um, but I mean, and there's a lot of kind of inconsistencies within it, and there's a lot of kind of bits and pieces within it that you kind of get this doesn't really hang together. But the general mood and feeling of the whole piece is great, and I heartily, heartily recommend. And Peter Mullen, a very Peter Mullen, yeah. he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant, and uh, yeah, I heartily, heartily recommend. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Session nine. It's okay. exactly what I was going to agree with you, Tim. The the atmosphere in the movie is just so strong. It's huge. It's yeah. and like you said, the twist from one narrative to the other is you're not expecting it at all. But highly recommend it, Pav. Highly recommend. Is it that. is it a gory, ghosty horror horror film, or is it more like atmosphere, tinkling in atmosphere, nerves? psychological people people not saying things that they should be saying, or are they saying it? narratives that are that are kind of fractured within ah didn't someone say didn't someone mention this you know one of those one of those films mm. where someone mentioned something right at the beginning of the film and then you get all the way through and go hang on didn't didn't the person that just at the very beginning say say like the major plot and then just disappear and no one pay any attention to it and then it all kind of comes it's very good it's honestly it's really good yeah i haven't even heard of it i must admit so there you go session nine okay great way to start Another one to add to the list of things we have to to have to work out on. Uh, Justin, your number 10 then, please. Well, I'm going to go for some TV stuff as well as film, because I sort of my obsession as a younger person was television, really, and creepy, creepy television. 70s telly, really. I think possibly because of the age I was, when you get scared and you're sort of younger things go in and in an era where there wasn't videotape there were no dvds certain things kind of stick and they're just there in your the back of your mind and you're thinking wow i wish i could see that again now of course you can see a lot of these things again mm. so number 10 for me was um there was a series called beasts on uh granada i think it was itv and Nigel Neal, the author of Quatermass uh, and many other gems of horror, uh, wrote a series of six different standalone plays. There's one called Baby, which is really scary and kind of, again, eerie, atmospheric. It's not bloody, it's not gory, but it sort of taps a bit into the stuff that we're interested in. A couple move into a village, a little cottage, they're doing repairs and in the wall they find this jar and inside the jar is the body of a, a very, very old baby. The uh, wife is pregnant, things kind of start to just get more and more eerie from there on and yeah, it's a really nicely directed thing from what year was it? I've got my little notes. Nineteen seventy-six, I think. I just had a look on IMDb. Yeah, John Nelson Burton was the director, and yeah, Nigel Neal himself for the climax of the uh, very spooky piece. I won't spoil it in case people haven't seen it, but there's a very shocking sort of ending with a kind of shock thing, and he himself was the person who. <laughs> I had to do that because you were just making that. <laughs> my, my, my spine was going all cold when you were describing it all. It was getting a bit, oh my goodness. Yeah, there's a moment, there's a really shocking moment at the very end of the play and Nigel Neal kind of prepared this thing himself because he just wanted to be exactly right. Right. 
Mm. Yeah, it's just a very nice, sinister little piece of 1970s television. Wow. Simon McCorkendale. Was it? Oh, that, really? Yeah, yeah, very angry performance. Really? Yeah. There you go. Good couple of crackers there. Neil, what have you got for number 10? Well, I've got an old classic, The Woman in Black. Now, I'm going to put the movie on there, but also the TV movie and series. And I'm going to give honourable mention to the stage play because I'm a huge fan of that as well. I find this a good classic ghost story, brought up to date, really, for younger minds to get a grips with. Um, It's just got all the usual tropes. It is scary. I can't ever believe that it was a 12 certificate when it came out on the movies with Daniel Radcliffe. And I think they did a very good version. I mean, I'm more, like I said, I'm more of a fan of the stage version. I think I've seen it four times now on the stage and still love it every time I see it. Um, it's clever because there's only two people in the whole performance, isn't it? Uh, have, have either of you guys seen The Woman in Black? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's it's just fantastic to see it on the stage. Hmm. And then that's why I think I appreciate the movie a lot more than a lot of other people give it credit for the movie. But yeah, I like, I do like that one. It's, it's, it, we talk about the chills at the back of your neck and the hairs on your arms sticking up. That's that's the story that does it really well. And there's mm. like like I say, I'll be talking about stage shows again later, but that stage show is fantastic. Although I don't know why in the in the London one they don't open it with a giant scream like they do on the touring one, mm. which jumps everybody out. But I would say if you've never had a chance to see the woman in black on stage. Don't find out about what how the stage show works. Go and see it. But, yeah, and kudos to the the movie. They did it very well. And the TV series, which I wasn't a great fan of, but it did have a very iconic, there's that word again, scary moment when the woman floats over the guy in the bed. Do you remember the TV one when they do that? Yeah. You see, Nigel Neal adapted it. So. Yeah. And yeah, that I, terrified everyone, didn't it? <laughs> I really like the TV one, actually. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think the stage play is kind of more playing on your own psychology and just being in mm. a very dark place. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, I do enjoy that one. Yeah, I I, I must admit, so I, my number 10 is um, is The Shining. Now, The Shining is an amazing movie and is in... Every, why are you looking like that, Tim? Number 10 is The Shining? In my ghost Your movies. number 10 is... Well... In, well, in I, don't, I don't want to make movies. this. Sorry, <laughs> I mean, The Shining is an what amazing is, is nine better than The Shining? Okay. <laughs> you wait till you see my number three, okay. is all I'm going to yeah. say. You wait till oh, you see my Casper number three. Oh, if it's Casper again, I'm gone. <laughs> it's Casper again. Yeah. The thing is, is like, it wasn't originally in my, it wasn't originally in my top ten. And then I thought to myself, well, it's The Shining. So it should be, even if it, you know, movies that begin with the letter S, The Shining should be in there if there are nine other great better movies i mean now that tim said that i'm looking at my my other nine and i'm thinking tim's gonna rip yeah. me a new one <laughs> you're gonna be spanked Pab. you're gonna be spanked. absolutely absolutely <laughs> but i will say it wasn't until i was looking at google just i wanted to just see like top 50 greatest uh ghost movies and the shine i thought why is the shine oh yeah of course yeah obviously it's a it's a, a ghost movie but the thing is like the woman in black I, I remember seeing that, the, the movie of it, and it had every trope on there that I don't like in horror films. And I tend to, my wife will jump at anything. You know, it doesn't mm. matter. Even if there's something there to jump at, she will jump. Whereas I, for some reason, I can see it, like 
five minutes before you know somebody looking in a uh, a medicine cabinet with the gl the glass door half open as soon as they close it there'll be a zoom noise and oh, and someone will be behind them you know and i know that that sort of thing is going to happen and that's what really bugs me because it takes me out of the movie and this and the woman in black seemed to have the movie anyway had that all the time there was always mm. someone walking past behind or behind a door or behind a cupboard and i and it just got to me and i thought this is all this movie is and i was really i didn't enjoy it at all i call it a ghost train movie it's a, yeah. it's a fun for yeah. an hour and a half but, but a lot of the, scary the story the story of the like woman that. in black is a very good story if you break it down and listen to you know the horrificness of in the, in the village the bit with the the children uh, that've been poisoned yeah. with the lime and I'm all not, of that yeah but it ain't no shining is it as tim will as well tim no will <laughs> no no it's not oh this is going to be a bumpy ride i feel <laughs> a ghost bumpy That's ride you're not going to get out of this i can tell you <laughs> i'm definitely not like i say look at my number three anyway that is my number 10 we've started in a it's uh as we mean to go on tim what's your number nine right my number nine is right uh it's a film called the entity which is um early 80s i think uh, yeah, but... um, and i'd seen barbara hershey only a few times before in Boxcar Bertha was probably the first time I'd, I'd seen her, the very early Scorsese film. Um, and then I remember seeing, I don't know if you remember the, this at all, but when I used to go into the, like, the local video shop in the village, um, they would always have, you know, the sort of sword and sorcery bit and all those kind of Conans and things like that. And then kind of mixed in amongst all of that was, I remember just this black box with red writing just saying, the entity kind of those kind of glow underneath underneath the word very 80s and i was absolutely yeah. intoxicated by it. i was like wow this doesn't even have a picture this must be terrifying <laughs> and then <laughs> actually seeing it being being a lot older than watching it and going actually this is really quite it's quite tough i don't know have you have has any of you seen the entity i've, I've never seen it no. yeah i've seen it again yeah it, it's never a she that gets um physically and and sort of sexually attacked by a gang of three ghosts entities and it is quite full-on and very controversial when it came out and it, it's quite a, you do get quite a psychological battering from it as it is quite relentless and it's very intimately filmed so there's very few wide shots you feel it feels very claustrophobic and it's pretty much just barbara hershey um there are some other sort of extraneous characters that come into it you know, psychologists and police and the usual kind of people. But essentially, it's just her in a house and you know there is this thing, there is all these groups of things that are in this house and they are absolutely after her and she's superb in it. Um, and as, oh, absolutely brilliant. And, and as a sustained piece of terror, it's a real masterclass in that. Like, she must have been absolutely exhausted. Looking at it from an actor's point of view, you go... Goodness me, you must have been shattered every single day. God, I hope the catering was good because you'd have needed you'd have needed something. Yeah. But it's it's great. It's very 80s. Again, really well shot. Um, and it's 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 up there. It's a genuinely uncomfortable, spooky feel. And I think sometimes those films are very few and far between because we get so used to horror tropes and how things work and the Luton bus, the classic Val Luton technique of What's that over there? It's the same thing as you closing the door 
the Luton bus. If someone went, oh, oh, it's fine. Bus arrives. People get off. So we're used to that. But this uses them sparingly and very well and uses very little music in it, which I think is really good. So the entity. Very good. Yeah. Good one. Good one. Very okay. good. Very good movie. Justin, your number nine, please. I'm going to go for Mulholland Drive, the David Lynch film. Just, it's not exactly a horror film. It's not exactly a ghost film, but it's such a haunting and intriguing kind of puzzle about identity and movie making. Um, I, I, it's very haunting. I think a lot of my choices of my top 10 are things that sort of have a nightmarish quality and that's just a film that's very surprising all the way through because it has trademark lynchian tropes uh, a comedy characters but they're always very sinister so there's a cowboy with this enormous hat that they meet in this kind of remote garage with kind of neons buzzing and it's kind of funny but it's also really sort of unnerving and odd and halfway through the film Naomi Watts is sort of the main character, really, that carries us through the film. But she, at some point, the character that's with her, this other woman, just in one scene walks across the room and disappears, and she is never seen again in the film. And it's, well, other very strange things happen. There's a kind of creature that is suddenly encountered outside an American diner, and that is just... Scary. That's the biggest jump I think I've ever yeah. known in movie history. Like the garbage woman. Yeah, yeah honestly. Uh, you had that on your um, scariest moments, Neil, I think, didn't you? Yeah, you because on your scariest moments? I did, because it is genuinely terrifying, that bit. And I, I love films that you can kind of, you feel like if you watch them more, you can unpick them, you can get more knowledge. You know, I love the fact that there are no clear answers. It's like a jigsaw puzzle with things missing and people have different interpretations of what the film is really about. Mm. So it it rewards by multiple viewings and just a great piece of work, I think. Good one. I still haven't seen it. We talked about this a couple of well, a few months ago, didn't we, Neil? And it was yeah. one of the ones that I that you kept saying to me, you need to watch this movie, and I still haven't watched I it. I mean, I would say you'd have to be a bit of a fan of Lynch. Right. I mean, you have to understand how a Lynch movie works. You're not watching a normal A to B movie. You're going Isn't to be like all that over. with all David Lynch movies, though, would you uh, say? Apart from The Elephant Man and probably June, yeah, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I I guess they're all kind of heightened reality and mm, yeah i know that he he kind of meditates he does transcendental meditation every morning and part of the way of freeing his mind and entering ideas is through meditation so mm. in a way you know it is literally a dreamlike state that he's trying to emulate really I would have loved to have seen his version of Return of the Jedi. I just would have. That would have been amazing. <laughs> Crossed with a razor head or Can something. Can you imagine? Yeah. Uh, go on then, Neil, your number nine. Uh, my number nine is Ghost Stories, the one written by Jeremy Dyson and Andy Nyman. Um, again, I saw this first on the stage when it was with Andy Nyman in the lead role. Um, actually, your brother took me to see it, uh, Pav. Um, I thought it was terrifying, showing it's basically three stories that are all linked um and the move is exactly the same um and the move is very well done but 
it's so clever so clever because the three um ghost stories you're hearing are all old stories we've all heard a million times before but when they're presented in the context of this story and on stage it's terrifying and then they've done it very well on the mo- on the on the film which i think is still available on netflix and it all links perfectly well i would always say go and see the stage play if they ever bring it back again before watching the movie but the movie with the old caretakers paul whitehouse they've got that young lad who was in um he he, he was in a lot of stuff and i can't think of his name now he was in um uh black mirror he was in a very good episode of that he's a very up-and-coming young lad and the end businessman and it's clever i like films that you know use old-fashioned tropes and then turn it into something original which they did on this now have either of you both seen ghost stories on the stage yes yeah i I have yeah i saw the first night actually at lyric hammersmith when it was yeah because i was working with jeremy dyson on jintzy actually he was our script editor Uh, okay series yeah lovely man we called him our guru and he'd come down and have meetings with us and kind of sit with his eyes closed (laughs) (laughs) and he's absolutely into the same stuff that we all are obsessed with so Mm. we're constantly talking about robert aikman stories and all kinds of things but um yeah no i did i saw it and then ula who uh our um cameraman on the first series was the cinematographer on ghost stories as well. okay fantastic norwegian cinematographer really really talented and um, did a yeah brilliant job on that movie yeah, beautifully beautifully filmed it's a great film isn't it it's yeah. great it's they've done it really well they've given justice to the stage play which doesn't very often happen no I do feel, feel like I'm an uncultured swine uh, at the start of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one that's not going to the theatre. I've not seen these movies, and I've chosen The Shining at number 10 as my ghost movie. Uh, Let's see so. what film is better than The Shining. Okay, here we okay. go. Okay, my number nine, ladies and gentlemen, The Blair Witch Project. Wrong. <laughs> 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 Should we maybe stop and start again? Do you think maybe we should do another? Turn it around the other way. <laughs> Turn it around the other way. Um, well, look, the Blair Witch Project was a was a movie. I mean, it wasn't the first found footage movie, but I can remember that it was one of the first ones that used the internet as a way of marketing the movie in a way that had never been done before, making it feel like it was absolutely real and that the people had disappeared. It was the first movie I ever watched with surround sound at home, and I kept looking out of the out of my living room window because i thought somebody was shouting down the street but it wasn't it was the rear uh sound box if you like and it genuinely i i don't get scared very much at movies and i think they'll find with my ghost movie i haven't got a lot of scary ghost movies in my top 10 ghost movies but this one genuinely especially the last scene with the man standing in the corner you know it's the fine footage the sort of look of it which obviously is unsettling to start with and it's in black and white but it's very rarely that a movie will stay with me for a few days and maybe weeks but that scene at the very end where you don't know what exactly what's going on and the young man is just standing in the corner with his back to you and that it was a genuinely chilling moment um and then obviously paranormal activity and all these other movies that came with the fine footage sort of but it was it was a phenomenon when it came out and it was mm-hmm. just one of those movies that i think was a moment in time definitely 
yeah. don't know what you guys think. Tim, are you a, a fan of uh, the Blair Witch Project, which is at number nine for me? Which is, I mean, we can talk about that endlessly. But let's <laughs> back to the to, uh, to, to the film. I remember, I remember it coming out, and I think I know this is going to sound ridiculous. I think it came out on my birthday, or it came out around that time. So I can remember seeing it that opening weekend in the cinema, and it was packed. It was one of those ones. Mm. We would go to the cinema. I know literally everybody was there, sort of waiting. Yeah, um, I think on that particular occasion, we couldn't see the end of the film because someone threw a firework into the cinema. Oh this was incredible. unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. Anyway, that's my story of the Blair Witch. But I, I really enjoyed it. I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. I think that that was its kind of power. Yeah, is for 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 a brand new audience that I mean now we're so used to it. It's it's you know it's become like one of those things like like steady cam cameras or you know shooting shooting in an office you go well that's been done yeah but then that was absolutely like mm. what on earth is this and it was mm. done so well and it was done yeah it was i i really i really enjoyed it i have i've only ever seen it since it came out one other time though so i've only seen it twice oh right i uh 20 yeah. 25 years yeah, maybe yeah so, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah justin you did you see it yeah yeah i did i went to the cinema i've got it on my little dvd shelf yeah i think it's a really nice classy film actually i think it's really well structured the performances are very realistic yeah it did freak me out the bit in the with the guy standing in the corner is genuinely frightening yeah in a kind of simplistic way you know very kind of woman in black in a way it's a simple thing there are no shocky bloody moments in the whole film but it's all about this atmosphere and finding these things and feeling watched and quite primeval things and yeah i think it's a great film there was a kind of there was a prequel film called the last broadcast or not a prequel but it was a film that was allegedly the first kind of found that's footage, right which is also really good actually yeah yeah and Blair Witch people were kind of slightly accused of nicking this guy's idea mm. but um, that's also a very good film yeah, yeah. but they did hands up say that they stole the format from the Cannibal Holocaust movie oh. because that's a found footage and yeah mm. yeah it's interesting if you listen to them and on the documentary that's where they they admit that's how they did, got their style of the found footage was from that movie but I suppose go. it's also a trope in in written books, you know, mm. in, in ghost story literature, that you find the book of somebody's, you know, terrible experiences, and they probably never made it out, and the last page mm. is ripped, you know, yeah. <laughs> like the House on the Borderlands. William Hope Hodgkins, what's his name? Hodgson. Hodgson. So that's sort of the a book within a book where the narrators find this old rotting book in a house that is on the borderlands between a demonic sort of plane. And yeah, it's that's a trope that kind of Blair Witch repeats, obviously, with new technology. But... Mm. Great. OK, Tim, your number eight, please. Right. My number eight. Um, so I'm going world cinema. Uh, here, so we're going to go for a film called Under the Shadow um, from 2016. It's an Iranian film, um, and again, I, I, quite a modern one, which for me is quite a quite a leap because usually my ones are oh well, they've got to be earlier, much earlier. But this one 
absolutely took me by surprise. I thought this is a really, really clever, well-made, basically like a haunted house film set in Iran, post-revolution, sort of time of the Ayatollah. And it's about um, a young family and uh, who live in a block of flats. And one day um, there's an air raid and a bomb comes through the roof and kind of lodges itself in the bottom of the block of flats. So it's an unexploded bomb. The house has to be evacuated. For some reason, they have to, you know, the, the mum and the daughter have to stay in the house, have to stay in the flat. And then things start happening. So it, it becomes a thing, it comes a story of did the bomb bring something with it or did the bomb um, awaken something within the building that has always been there but now is becoming quite malevolent and the thing i really liked about this as well is it plays with a different style of ghost like we are used very much to a western style of ghost clanky chains wailing and that kind of thing and this plays with more of a, a muslim arabic style almost like a jinn that would uh, haunt this house and i found that absolutely brilliant and fascinating coupled with the political system that is around in Iran at the time. So at one point she runs out of the house without a headscarf on and is stopped by the police, even though she is pleading by saying there is something inside, there is something happening, and I need someone to come and help. And they are more um, uh, interested in why she's not covering her, her hair. And she then gets arrested for not wearing a headscarf. And so it's things like that you think that would never happen in in a you know an old UK, American, French, mm. European film. But it plays into um the storyline and that sense of well you inside is is hard and spooky and difficult but outside also has its dangers and threats that also then come into play so there's never really a sense of feeling completely safe or comfortable wherever you you move um and she's also a woman on her own with a daughter and so that is also another it's a really clever with a really good when horror is done really well it you know it has such a social social voice and something to say much like uh get out mm. a very social uh, sort of standing and something to say and this again does does the same thing and again does it really really well and again it's very eerie very uncomfortable shot really beautifully and uh yeah new new ghosts different ghosts that we're not used to so yeah it's very good where did you where did that where did you come upon that movie it's on Netflix. Oh, is it? Yeah. Netflix, okay. yeah. But I I saw it because there was a movie that came out called um, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which was done, which is another Iranian film. It's an Iranian vampire film, all shot in black and white, female lead, female director. And so I was absolutely fascinated. We're going, well, that sounds, that sounds amazing. I don't think I've ever seen an Iranian vampire film. Yeah. Um, and again, it plays on the same same things about female sexuality. Obviously, vampires and sexuality are true bedfellows. But then put, putting it within a, um, a regime that's very restrictive uh, for women especially. And the idea of a woman walking home alone at night. And instead of being the prey, they become the predators. But for something very different. And it's shot really beautifully, shot around Tehran. Um, and I really thought, oh, that's that's really interesting to see um, an Iranian horror. And then suddenly this film popped up. So I went, oh, great. Well, I'll, I'll go and explore that as well. I'll see what that's like. And yeah, that's how that's how I came came across it. Great. 
Well, there's another one to add to the list. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay, Justin, you're number eight then, please. I'm going back onto TV now. Um, there was a series called Shades of Darkness that was a Granada show in the early 80s. And again, they were really very beautifully adapted stories from classic authors and, you know, very nice group of actors, Francesca Annis, lots of really, really good English actors, John Dettine. Um, and so I'm just picking one episode out of what I think is a really classy and interesting, quite overlooked series that lots of people probably haven't really discovered. And they did one episode which was called Seton's Aunt, which is a Walter Delamere adaptation. And it's just, again, quite a creepy little story. This schoolboy goes back home with his friend to the house that his, his friend lives in with his aunt, Seton's aunt, and Mary Morris, this very wrinkly little quite sinister actress is the aunt and it it's kind of just about him gradually realizing things are very very odd here and there are pictures on the wall of a kind of eye so he's constantly feeling like he's being watched and at night he sees candles going down the hallway and knows that Seton's aunt is doing something in the middle of the night it's kind of properly eerie and creepy and yeah just nicely kind of paced and this was kind of early 80s I think it was 1983 you can get um, I think there's an American DVD of some of the episodes but that's not on it but I did find it on YouTube there's a kind of grainy version on YouTube yeah really good really good there you go. I'll put that on our video playlist for our Patreon subscribers. Then if it's there on YouTube, you better watch the whole thing. Uh, very good. Uh, go on then, Neil, you're number eight. So it's Ringu, um, the Japanese version of the ring. Um, I don't mind the Hollywoodization, but it just lost a lot of its uh, atmosphere and scares, to be honest. But the original, if anybody's seen it, is it's, it's, it's stripped back. It's, um, it's not a glossy film at all, but we all know the story. It, you know, you watch the videotape seven days later, you'll die and things like this. Um, Japanese horror then in the 90s up to the sort of early 2000s, where they were on top of the world with their horror films. And this was a sort of strong horror one that went ghost story that went mainstream. Um, but yeah, atmosphere, scares. It's got everything you could ever want. And the, the image when you first see of the girl crawling out the TV in this film, yeah was again another truly <laughs> terrifying thing to witness for people listening and not watching justin just uh did his version of it there i yeah. I, I couldn't get to the woo sound quick enough yeah. there for that, unfortunately i mean yeah I, i'm not a big fan of the remake and neo naomi watts again wasn't it in the remake but it's all right it's just i'm not yeah i didn't want just, to see it because the first one was so good it is so good it really is it's just such a good ghost story it really is and terrifying is what we want yeah fair enough okay um yeah i've never seen it I, like i say i don't like horror films where have you, you been know? yeah you you've know, seen the remake haven't you the hollywoodization i, it, I haven't actually no no i don't i look this is going to be stupid for someone that is hosting a podcast about 
ghost movies. I'm not a massive fan of ghost movies, I have to say. Not okay. the not the traditional scary thing is there we go. Okay. <laughs> Look, I'm not, I know that Tim now that in your eyes I've completely ruined I was gonna ruin my reputation. Like I had a reputation in your eyes anyway, Tim, but but anyway, let's let's forget about number ten. We're on to number eight now. Um so my number eight is poltergeist. Um Oh, that's my number three. Oh, is it? That's your number three mm. now. Okay. Very high up there for me as well. Oh, is it? Mm. Not your number one. That'll be oh. saying, wouldn't it, Pav? <laughs> no, that would be saying. No. What number is it for you, Tim? <laughs> what number is it for you, Tim? You can't that's say. It. Number one will be Casper. That's okay. uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course it will. Okay, I won't I won't probe any further. I know how much you like that, Tim. Um, but for me, I mean look. Poltergeist is a scary movie, as far as I'm concerned. It's it's beautifully made, wonderfully written, got some fantastic performances in it, and some genuinely scary, unsettling moments. That um, whether it's the the like the clown or the the tree in the little boy's um, bedroom, or the just face the whole, peel. yeah, yeah, just even just yep. um, Heather O'Rourke in front of the, te- the mm. television and you know they're here and all that stuff it's just so unsettling but it's uh and it's spielberg toby hooper at the top of his game yeah just a just a great great movie and of course the great fact is the skeletons at the end are real yes yeah yes mm. it's the indian burial ground isn't it, it yeah <laughs> spoilers <just> crazy <laughs> spoilers. Yeah. um okay so uh tim you're number seven then please Oh, right. So um, I've gone a bit left field um, with this one, but it's a film I've, I've probably watched. Oh, my God. I mean, it must be nearly 100 times. It is the 1941 Arthur Askey and Richard Murdoch classic The Ghost Train. Um, yeah, it's 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 superb. It's hilarious and funny. It was based on a play by Arthur Ridley. Uh, Arnold Ridley, rather, who was uh, who was in Dad's Army, and uh, was a very famous playwright as well. And this was his most famous uh, play. Um, and it's it's just a kind of gloriously silly nineteen forties kind of piece of propaganda as well. Let's be perfectly honest. During the war years, of you know, sort of kind-hearted Arthur Askey, kind of singing and dancing with Richard Murdoch, going, "Come along, you silly little man." <laughs> like that and uh irene handel going oh i'll just have another drink of gin oh all right i'll do it things like that and uh it's it's brilliant and it's about as you can imagine uh a train going down to truro uh, with passengers arthur askey's annoying everyone as is the general arthur askey way and they get turfed off in a station in the middle of nowhere there's a station guard that comes in and he goes, what are you doing here? And this is a very good impression, by the way. Um, just what you want to know. This is very high class. What are you doing here then? And it's like, oh, well, can you charter us a special? Because it's the 40s. He goes, no, no trains here. Where are you coming? Where are you going? All of that is brilliant. Um, <laughs> and then find out that there's a ghost train coming in. If you look upon the ghost train, you will go, you will go mad. And uh, yeah, it's a, it, and then there's a nice little sort of twist to it. Very 40s twist of people disappearing and then kind of reappearing and mystery and all sorts but yeah it's 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 a joyous thing probably for nobody else but because it reminds me of childhood and sort of wet sunday afternoons of sitting watching 
the ghost train. It it'll sit there very very happily. Nice. Nothing wrong with a bit of Arthur Askey either, is there? I mean, no. quintessentially British, but of that time, just fantastic. Okay, uh, Justin, your number seven, please. I'm going down similar route here with um, Dead of Night. Basil did and directed 1945. It's a kind of portmanteau movie. Things like Ghost Stories, the modern one that we were talking about, kind of model themselves a lot on this. And it was one of the very earliest examples of the kind of portmanteau movie, horror movie, where you've got three or four different connected ghost stories. And it's very classy, you know, the the final act, if you like, with Michael Redgrave and a ventriloquist puppet called Hugo, who is not quite as inanimate as he might appear, is genuinely very frightening and quite psychological. There's a fantastic early ghost story based on a real sort of murder um, that happened in Bristol that was the basis of a book called The Suspicions of Mr. Witcher. This was a very shocking family murder story and in this version in this little short story children are the young people are at a party they're playing hide and seek in this very old house and this girl goes up a tower into a bedroom and sees a young boy who's ill in bed and she suddenly kind of realizes she's not she's gone back in time or there's been a time slip or something and it, yeah, it's a really good film. It, it delivers on all levels and actually the end of the film kind of it has this fantastic circular structure. So you kind of enter the beginning of the film at the end again and you feel like the nightmare is going to replay again. And yeah, it's beautiful. It's a great film. Wow. Uh, Neil, you're nodding. Have you seen this? Or you no, no, I'm just taking notes because it's uh, yeah, not that's on my what, list. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I, I do get a feeling that, that as has already been uh, shown on my list, my list is very straight through and populist, if you like, whereas some of these nuggets that we're getting from uh, from our guests here are things that I probably would never, it would never have come across my radar. Uh, without doing this pod so this is what i love doing about this pod is the fact that we will discover these these little so when if we when we do ghost movies part two a the shining will be obviously higher in my top 10 <laughs> <laughs> the look of disgust on tim's face <laughs> i'll wake in the middle of the night and just be pacing yeah. thinking about <laughs> for weeks on end now Pav, you've made on end you've ruined end. it See, like say, wait until my number three. That's really going <laughs> to piss him off. Um, very good. Okay, Neil, your number seven, please. So it's Peter Jackson's The Frighteners with Michael J. Fox. Um, I, I think this is a great cross between uh, one of these movies, which is very hard to do, cross between horror and comedy. Um, mm. You can. It's a great story, all filmed in New Zealand. Michael J. Fox, obviously, still probably just in his prime then. Um, it's. Like I say, it, you can see the effects that he, he then subsequently took on to um, Lord of the Rings movies and everything like that, how he did the race and all of that. It's I don't quite know exactly how to explain the story, but basically you've got a private detective that's surrounded by ghosts and he can see ghosts and then he has to get or help um, solve the problem of the evil ghost. I think it's um, Boosie, isn't it? Jake Boosie is the evil guy in it. Um, 
And he, yes, he, he, yeah, he looks very mean in that one. But if, if you've never seen it, I'd say give yourself a treat, give yourself a Sunday afternoon, put it on. Um, it's Peter Jackson before he became commercial, I suppose. Great yeah. fun. Great fun. Yeah, probably, sorry, Justin, yeah? No, I was just going to say it sounds great. I hadn't, I haven't seen it myself, but uh, I wondered chronolo- chronologically, was Heavenly Creatures before that or when did that? No, happen? it was after that. Was Heavenly Creatures after that? Yeah. Because oh sorry no I was gonna say because I thought that the studios my, very similar to what you were saying but the studios um, Peter Jackson's presented I want to do Lord of the Rings and I want to do this as a as a as a two films to start with and then they said right. no one likes two films oh okay sorry I meant a trilogy and they said yes but you need a you you need to show us that you can work with special effects and so mm. they use Frighteners as that calling card so I thought it was. I yeah, heavenly, it... heavenly Creatures was 94 and Frighteners oh, was 96. Oh, yeah, there you go. Oh, sorry, my mistake. So Got once again, Tim is right again. Of course he is. <laughs> but it's they're both great movies. If you haven't uh, seen uh, Heavenly Creatures. Oh, yeah. No, they're great movies. Brilliant. Heavenly Creatures, I adore. Mm. And that's and quite course. scary, actually, isn't it? You know, yeah. this tension where you know that they're going to kill the mother. and Oh, my God, yeah. Mm. Mm. A very young Kate Winslet, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yes. Brilliant, even then. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Okay, uh, my number seven. Uh, don't say it three times. Uh, it's Beetlejuice. That's my number uh, four. Uh, is that your number four? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you've been looking at my list. Apart this from is this is Tim Burton. Drop It's <laughs> Tim Burton at his absolute best. Um, and Michael Keaton. I think, I think it it's it's the role that he was born to play. Uh, something like Beetlejuice. And it is just, it's mad and crazy. And um, I hate watching it when it's on terrestrial television because they always cut out the best bits when uh, Michael Keaton was just allowed to go completely crazy. Mm. And they just seem to cut those bits out for some reason. And it's, um, I don't think I've ever seen a movie ever like that since. It's one of those movies I'll put on every so often Mm. just because Michael Keaton's not in it a lot. But when he's in it, he steals every scene that he's in, and I'm really mm. interested to see the Beetlejuice two that was was what, what was being filmed mm. before the before the, uh, the the writers and the actors strike. But um, that face that you pulled, Neil, that's the thing I'm worried about is when they come back with these like legacy sequels, they never seem to go the way you want them to go. Because I get a feeling that when they film it now, that it's going to be a bit restrained. They know what they're doing. Whereas before, they were allowed to go free and wild and just enjoy it. The likes of Catherine O'Hara, I think, is so funny in that movie. It's yeah. so good. You know, Winona Ryder plays the goth teen child so brilliantly. It's hilariously funny, yet perfectly dark. The whole bit when Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis are trying to scare the family away and creating all, it's just it's really well written and that's yeah. the thing that we forget they're ripping their faces off they're trying yeah. to be as scary as they can just to frighten them. and the smoking woman i think is hilarious yeah. you know with the slit neck and the smoke's constantly coming out of her neck as she smokes it's just great sight gags um yeah yeah, yeah. ah that's mine anyway that's uh my number seven so tim your number six please right my number six so i'm gonna go all the way uh well leaping from 1941 all the way up to the heady heights of 1962. <laughs> uh, uh, a film I remember seeing when I was quite young, and I watched it very late night, I think it was on BBC Two, 
doing the whole movie drone thing that Alex Cox um, used to do. Uh, and it's a film called Carnival of Souls, which is basically like a Lynchian nightmare before David Lynch became David Lynch. And it's about um, a young woman who's who's escaping. It's all black and white, again, really low, low budget, who's uh, kind of escaping from her past, but then is haunted by um, the visions of this pale-faced man that just keeps appearing in strange and then places. And then basically reality begins to kind of shift and fade and she kind of drifts out of reality into this world of dream and there's a very famous shot which is on around a merry-go-round that she's trying to kind of get off this merry-go-round and then this white-faced man that's actually played by the director Herc Harvey um, is chasing her around trying to kind of pull push past all these um, merry-go-round horses and things like that but it's brilliant it's deeply unsettling it almost makes absolutely no sense whatsoever but it makes all the sense by the time it gets to the end um, and it's just really good. It's one of those films that is that you just can't you get captivated by it as it's spooky and odd and weird. And yes, it's uh, it, it's brilliant. It probably is. It probably if I watched it again now, I would look at it and go, "This is absolute dross." But the the residing memory of it is this is a, a terrifying, spooky, unsettling uh film but it also has a slight coziness like justin was saying about certain ghost films is they have a certain coziness to them and this it kind of has in its oddity and it's just strangeness it has a a coziness to it as well which is very strange but the but the woman i can't remember who plays the lead she's uh perfectly dreadful like literally someone that you would grab from sort of like oh uh, margaret margaret's done some acting she was All in right. blythe she'd be amazing and then they put her put her in in this, that sort of ah <laughs> but, uh, the creepiness is it's sort of very very amateur as you say but that there's something kind of unnerving about that because you're used to seeing a kind of polished performance and i think it is slightly hypnotic you're partly hypnotic because she's not very good but you know you are drawn into this strange world and it is a kind of very clunky low budget thing is quite creepy somehow yeah Mm. Candace right, Hilligos uh, uh, is her name. Candace Hilligos is her name. Candace Hilligos. I've got oh, it yeah. on IMDb up here. Yeah, I, I, I recognise the pale man that's in the the little clips that they're very, showing. Very, Some, very, I've seen him somewhere before. Yeah. Following you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be careful, yeah. man. He's behind uh, you. What's that? What's that? <laughs> He's there. <again. laughs> okay, Justin, you're number six, please. Okay, I'm going back onto spooky 70s telly again. Um, there was a children's TV series called Shadows. Uh, and it was kind of deliberately trying to scare children witless. But it was a really classy show again. And this was uh, 1975, it started. It ran for three series. They had some very, very good writers. People like um, Susan Cooper did her first version of The Dark is Rising as an episode of Shadows. Um, but there's, there was one episode I remember watching and I would have been nine years old, I suppose, then. It was called The Other Window and it was adapted from a J.B. Priestley story. Basically, it's a family and they buy this kind of circular thing that you could put on your window and it's like a fisheye lens and you can look through it and it turns the garden outside into this sort of 
strangely warped thing. And when the family start looking, the young girl played by Sophie Ward, her first role, I think, um, when she looks through the other window, she starts to see characters from the past coming through the garden. And I just, I had this really strong sort of fear. There's a bit where these Romans kind of come in to the garden with swords and they come up to this fisheye lens window. And it was really scary. And I was nine years old and I just remember watching this thing and it stayed with me always afterwards. And I've been looking to see this again for years and years and years because it was just a really spooky memory. And of course now I, you can get it and I have got it on DVD. But I think when you watch stuff that has had that impression on you, you carry that into your modern viewings of things. So I still found it very atmospheric and part of the thing of a low budget studio with the slightly smeary light when the camera moves. Mm. This, that era somehow had a, a spookiness about just even the quality of the TV film and the lighting and everything. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm going I've got that one out on my list. I need to look that up. <laughs> I'll have to look for that one on YouTube. Uh go on then, Neil, you're number six. So don't judge me on this one, anyone, but I really enjoy this film. It's Ghost from 1990. Patrick. That's Swayze. my number five. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I think it's Sorry, a great, a great comedy. Ghost with Patrick Swayze yes. above the shine. Carry on. <laughs> I have my reasons. Let Neil say his first, and then I'll say I'll say mine. Well, I just think this is a great romp. It's a great comedy. It's um, you know, Whoopi Goldberg. She won the Oscar, deservedly so. She was fantastic, very very funny. I think the direction in it is great. The story is great, you know, and the twist and the the lead characters uh, having a great love love story that works on screen because so often we watch ones that don't or have watched ones that don't and it just all gels together for me this one and well it's a ghost movie <laughs> as yeah. well yeah. yeah well i was i was 21 and me and my brother had gone to america my mum and dad very kindly paid for us to go to los angeles for a week and it was on at the cinema and that was the, that was the days kids when cinemas would be uh, movies would come out in america six months before they would come out or maybe longer before they would come out in the uk so i was very proud of myself and that i'd seen this movie um before anybody else in the uk when i came back and i was uh uh the girlfriend that i was with at the time i was saying it's such a romantic movie and i kept saying ditto to her from the, from that and she had no idea what what it <laughs> meant but obviously when she saw ghost she realized and it brought Unchained Melody back into the fore mm -hmm. as well. And I thought it was genuinely a really sweet movie in, you know, at the end. Um, and it still holds up. As it a still sweet holds movie. up. Okay. Is it as a movie as good as The Shining? No, of course it's not. But for me, I really enjoyed it. Patrick Swayze was about as, as um, you know, romantic as you can get. Demi Moore is Demi Moore. Uh, and the baddie's name was Carl, which is my name. So, you know, it had everything. <laughs> <laughs> Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs 
Coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment? Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Uh, moving on quickly. Um, it's time for this. I need to change my... Uh... Here we go. Pop quiz, hot shot. Yes, pop quiz, hot shot. Now, I don't know whether we've done this with you yet, Tim, have we? Have we done the quiz yet halfway through? Yes, I think I think we have. Did we yes. do the quiz last time? Anyway, um, now, as we've got four people, Neil is very kindly bowing out. So it is Justin versus Tim. We're going to do some questions. Now, these may not be particularly highbrow questions, but let's see how well you do. It's first one to three. Neil, can you keep count for us? Yes, of course. If you get the question wrong, it will go over to your opponent. Um, uh, Justin, we'll start with you. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. In which film did Annabelle the doll make her debut? Was it The Conjuring? Yes, it was. Correct for one point. Tim, now this is just by luck. I'm doing them as a go, so this is just by luck. What is the name of the hotel Jack Torrance is hired to care for in The Shining? <laughs> It's oh god, oh I got I know it I know it it's the it's, it's the Grantham Arms no, <laughs> Overlook the Grantham Arms <laughs> if only it was the Grantham Arms <laughs> correct, uh, Justin for you in which city does the 1992's Candyman take place? Oh, I don't know this. I'm going to go for Kansas City. It's not, I'm afraid. So over to you, Tim, to steal the point. Now, is it Detroit? It's not. It's is Chicago. It oh, it's Chicago. It's Chicago. Chicago, that was the other one I was going to go for. <laughs> I thought, oh, annoying. No. Okay, Tim, this is your question. Which actor okay. appears, appears in all of these horror movies? The Purge, Sinister, and The Black Phone. Oh God, I know, I know exactly who it is. I don't know his name. Oh God, I don't know. I know who. I, I know, I know the actor's face, but you don't know but his I, name. I what his name is. I'll have to pass it over to Justin. Ethan Hawke. It is Ethan Hawke. Well done. Uh, so Justin, this is your question. I'm, I'm assuming this is for the win, isn't it, Neil? This is for the win. This is for the win. Uh, what's the screaming masked person in the scream? Sorry, in Scream called? Roger. It's not. Tim? Ghostface. It is Ghostface. It is Ghostface. Oh, I believe no, then, Tim, Tim for the win. this is for the win. How Where quickly it turns. Where do the Ghostbusters set up their headquarters? Sorry, say that again. Where do the Ghostbusters set up their headquarters? In a fire station. Is correct. Well, well done, done, Tim. Well done, well uh, done, well done. I only had one question left as well, which was what profession did Ricky Gervais's character have in the movie Ghost Town? Anybody know that? Dentist. It was a dentist, indeed. Well done, Tim. Well done. The... Uh, the trophy is in the mail. Fabulous. Okay, well done. Well done. Okay. Your uh, number five, please, Tim. Back to the uh, actual work at hand. Right. Um, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go Mexican. Wow. With, a, with a of Spain. So I'm going to go The Devil's Backbone um, by Guillermo del Toro. 
Um, this was possibly my first, I think this was my introduction to Del Toro. And I was absolutely blown away by it. I thought this is just aesthetically, this kind of like gothic, civil war, Spain, horror, set in an orphanage. And there's like ghost children. Again, another bomb, another bomb. There's that bomb in the forecourt, which they kind of walk around in ticks and they kind of leave it alone. So there's that threat inside, outside. There's the threat of the of Franco and the Spanish Civil War all around. Um, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And that dealing with the, again, it deals with those things that Del Toro loves, that sort of like the, the realms of fairy and the realms of other entities that probably come into play in Pan's Labyrinth and things of that and even i think his first film chronos kind of deals a little bit in the kind of like the folklore of um of these things um and i loved it i thought it was just so incredibly layered that idea of trying to escape something but it's it's around and to, in order to escape you have to find the thing that is holding you there um i thought it was absolutely glorious and amazing and some really extraordinary visuals i remember one in particular it's there's a kid in bed and he pulls a screen and there's a shadow of a child looking very close right next to him and then just pulling it back and the thing and it's not there it's gone and then it doesn't do the usual trope of and then you lean back and it's standing behind you just nothing happens but it just leaves you with that lingering sense of dread like oh there is something there is something that can see me but i can't see it mm. and i found it extraordinarily yeah brilliant absolutely brilliant and again but and also a ghost story set in something somewhere that's hot which you don't often see you are it's usually cold wintry nights or um abandoned buildings or things like that but this was yeah big hot middle of the desert uh good old ghost film with the spanish civil war raging around yeah it's one of the things el toro is great at is is the visions and the imagery that he can put on a screen he's is that's his gift i feel most definitely most yeah. definitely and unsettling images as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i mean Pan's labyrinth is such an incredible film mm. it's very scary and there's some horrible images but it's beautiful as well and did he do the orphanage is that one of his or was he just... no he's just produced that one didn't he yeah. that was was that bayona bayona or jd bayona was it yeah but it came out just after i think just that's after right. that bone didn't it so mm. yeah it rose very very heavily from it but again that's a really good film as well it is film. fantastic yeah very good very good i will mention that i did um i did uh, go a little bit early with the quiz because i didn't do my number six which is actually the sixth sense oh. which uh is the modern day ghost movie spoilers if you haven't seen the movie but it's a ghost movie amazingly um we can talk about it a little bit later on maybe uh just in your number five please um, there's a film called The Appointment, which was another starring Edward Woodward, Woodward, um, 1981, uh, director called Lindsay Vickers. And for years it had become this kind of cult thing that was only available on very grainy VHS. There was a really bad version of it on YouTube. It became this kind of cult film, partly because you couldn't see it. And All right. Edward Woodward was kind of the seal of approval, you know, post Wicker Man doing another horror film. And it, it's now released on BFI um, Blu-ray, but it's from quite an odd source. So the, the quality is not fantastic even now, but it's quite a strange, nightmarish film. And again, 
it sort of has a dreamlike lack of logic and it's sort of around this he's a father of this very talented girl who's going to play the violin at school and she wants him to come to see her concert but he has to go to a business meeting somewhere else and all this sounds kind of very not like a horror film but it builds into something quite unexpected and a whole there's a whole sequence at the end that is really beautifully shot and kind of very scary kind of thriller action horror and it's just got a very strange atmosphere to it again a bit like carnival of souls the daughter character you can't quite tell if she's just a really bad actress is <laughs> <laughs> part of the sort of direction of trying to get an unusual performance but there's there's something quite creepy about that too and there are these there's a kind of motif of these very savage dogs running in slow motion and it's kind of feels like a bad dream but it's quite an interesting film and i was really excited to see it finally released do you say that was available on youtube it used to be um i don't know if it still is but this was a kind of very bad copy from the oh, right kind of lines across it but in a way that kind of added to the Blair Witch like thing of this is the only way you're going to see it you know yeah wow yeah okay uh Neil you're number five so it is The Grudge both versions actually I'm going to put the Hollywood version in there because it's one of the remakes that I think they did a very good job so basically a spirit is in a house something bad has happened so anybody that moves into this house the spirit's going to get them and seek revenge um it's a basic ghost story executed very well i think the lead ghost of the it's again it's the japanese horror you know with the dark hair the white um making you jump coming up from the covers coming out the cupboard in the attic the scuttle of it the thing it's it's what i would say is a great introduction to a good ghost film if you want to be scared um you know i think there's not a lot in it that's really violent really graphic it's just good chills and scares um yeah and i, I thoroughly enjoy this one I, I've, I've seen it numerous times both versions uh, and they both stand up very well and i believe it was the same director from the original that did the american remake which and it's do you prefer time. if i was really pushed to shove it would be the japanese original you can't beat it, it brings a lot more of the atmosphere but they did a great job transferring it across because they still fil filmed it in Japan with Sarah Michelle Gellers in the lead role. Right, right. And they still filmed it in Japan. And yeah, it's, it's still got that creepiness, that unnerving that you know what's going on. And the noise it makes, if, if you know, it's I'm not going to try and do it because I really couldn't with my throat. Yeah, go <laughs> on, couldn't. have a go. No, no. Ooh, the noise. <laughs> Ooh, the noise. Isn't it? Some, I can't get my voice. It's a, it's a strange, um, clicky groan. I can't do it. I really can't do it. I really can't do it. I'm just sounding like I'm vomiting or something. But, yeah. It's, yeah, you've done um, that enough on the podcast, Neil. You, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Uh, yeah, it's a terrifying noise that sticks with you. If you've never seen the movie and have no idea, that noise, I guarantee, if you hear anything similar afterwards, you'll be like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah yeah okay fair enough um okay my number five was ghost so we're back with you tim for your number four my number four right um surprised he he hasn't been mentioned thus far but maybe that will come up later um 
it's going to be John Carpenter, The Fog. Yeah, absolute. Was... It's yeah. it's a it's absolute stone cold classic. And again, it has that similar thing. And maybe it's the radio thing of sort of like, and here we are, late night, and watching that fog roll in over the sea. It has a very, it has a warmth and a coziness and a comfiness to it. Um, even though it's just super cool. It's also got Jamie Lee Curtis. It's got the classic John Carpenter soundtrack to it. It's it's really, really enjoyable. And then it also has that quite very old-fashioned story of, you know, like a ghost ship coming back for the 100th year anniversary of, I can't remember quite what it is, but it's the City Fathers, that's it, the City Fathers or something, is coming back. And then that revenge, uh, and then that classic Carpenter thing of just close-ups of, of grappling hooks going into people or kind of slashing someone's face and things like that. And But, uh, yeah, I absolutely love it. And that slow creep, of you know what's coming. And I do like that thing, very similar to It Follows, which is another extraordinarily brilliant film. One of those films mm. that is a real hidden gem, not one you can just, which is I, which was what I did once, which is just you just kind of throw it on uh, on a Halloween evening and then just expect people to just go, ah, there it is. But it's because it's a real creeping watch. And I think the fog is the very essence of that. You, you know it's coming, you know it's coming, you know it's coming. It's just a matter of time. Even if you shut a door, it all kind of creeps under or you close a, a window and it creeps in through the side. It's... It's really, really good. Again, and one I could happily, if I see it on, I'll happily just sit and watch the whole thing. I yeah. just really, really yes. enjoy it. Not necessarily scary as such, but just, it's just very evocative uh, for me. I think it takes well, all boxes know... of things that are scary, isn't it? It's like mm. fog is just inherently scary anyway, I think. But that end shot when they're all in the church at the end yeah. and you see the, 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 the sailors basically in the fog, I think it's quite terrifying still. This was in and out of my top 10 all bloody week. Um, it's a great movie. Great movie. A great one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Justin, your number four, please. Uh, I'm going back onto television again, I'm afraid. Sorry. But um, there's a play for today that was recently released um, on, in one of their box sets called A Photograph. And it's sort of a companion piece to another uh, play by the same writer, John Bowen who did one called Robin Redbreast, which was a kind of similar to The Wicker Man in terms of a character goes into a, a rural location and starts to encounter sinister villagers and realises there's some sort of plot that they're going to become part of, ending in a kind of sacrifice. And a photograph is a sort of companion um, play to, to this. And one of the characters um, this very sinister woman, old woman, appears in both of these plays. But, it, yeah, there's just something, again, quite intriguing. It, there's a little bit of reading between the lines about the characters and what's really happening. And it's got a properly spooky, unpleasant ending. And I just, there was, again, just something about the play for today, Strand, that had this freedom of expression that just never really happened again on television all of these plays were multiple different genres and people you felt like artists and writers could really do something that they genuinely were doing under their own sort of 
parameters. And yeah, I I, I love this kind of thing. Spooky. Yeah. Is there anything fun. like play for today on TV now? I don't think there really is. I mean, you know, there are genre things. Black Mirror, I suppose, is probably one of the closest things to it. But mm. there isn't really a strand where you don't. I think the great thing about play for today was you knew you were going to sit down and watch something interesting, but you had no idea what it was going to be about. And they covered everything during the period of time that they made those things. And yeah. so interesting, talented people kind of cross fertilizing from theater and film as well, you know, really interesting. The only other thing that's similar is inside number nine, I'd say. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. You you got no idea what it is until it's finished, really, with mm. something like that. And and Black Mirror is the same kind of thing. Um, okay, Neil, your number four was Beetlejuice. It was. Uh, my number four. I mentioned it in the quiz. Actually, this is one that's going to make Tim's eyes roll. I'm sure it is <laughs> Ghost Town, the, the Ricky Gervais. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie. Oh, it's got a really nice heart. Although it's, please stay with us, Tim. We're nearly finished. We're nearly finished. Mm-hmm. We're nearly finished. Yeah. Remember, this is about ghost movies. It's not just about the movies. Okay. Um, it's got a really nice heart. Although it's Ricky Gervais being Ricky Gervais, he's like as he is in every project that he's in. Um, but when it comes to the end of the movie, it always gets me. It always makes me um, a little bit of a lump in my throat when he finally realizes that he needs to do things for other people as opposed to just being a um a horrible person uh it's just got a nice heart this movie um that's all i'm gonna say about that because <laughs> i don't like the way tim's looking at me with his stern yeah. lips <laughs> i can't wait to see that that, that bfi list where they say <laughs> Yes, the shiny has made it on this year because Ricky Gervais is. <laughs> oh, God, I can say wait till number three. Okay, uh, Tim, your number three, please. My number three, it's been mentioned before, uh, but for me, it's a lot higher. It's Poltergeist. Toby okay. Hooper. Just awesome. I remember I first watched this film when I was in hospital. I think I was having some sort of nasal thing happening as a kid. And for some reason, the uh, the nurse said, "Would you like to watch some telly?" And I was still completely out of my head. I said, "Yeah, I'll watch some telly." <laughs> and they said, "Oh, this Johnny Cage just came out of." And I, I I seemed to watch. I know it was obviously was the drugs wearing off. Poltergeist on like a loop the entire evening. Oh my Every Lord. time I opened my eyes, his face was falling off, or they're in a <laughs> pool of or something horrendous was happening. But then I remember being totally and utterly freaked out by it. And then I watched it on TV and went, no, this is this is a great, a really good piece of filmmaking. It's great. It's absolutely great. Do you think Spielberg did direct it? I mean, that's always the rumour, isn't it? I don't know, because when you start watching things like, uh, is it Crocodile that Toby Hooper did? Or Alligator? Some of his later films. Life Force is good. Yeah, Life that's Force. a good one, yeah. Just before. But then everything that kind of comes after that is... It does have Spielbergian tropes Absolutely. to it. Very much. The way it's framed. There's a couple of things that Spielberg doesn't do, but he's obviously consciously not done them. Mm. You know, the classic kind of Indiana Jones things where he kind of you kind of focus on the on the wing mirror and then it kind of pans out and then in then you know all those kind of things that he uses, but he doesn't do in this. Um, but definitely there's low angles and the slight comedy element as well with the with the uh with the medium mm. where she says, oh, I'll go in. 
and I will bring back your child. And they say, no, 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 it's my child. And she says, okay, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Things like that. You go, that's, that's a very classic kind of little Spielbergian trope. You see the very small American actress, the quite weird looking yes. lady. Yeah, she's great, isn't she? Mm. Brilliant. It's, it's exactly. definitely got the Spielberg sheen on it, yeah, hasn't, hasn't it? it just, yeah. as, as a movie, definitely. Um, okay, uh, Justin, you're number three then, please. I'm going to take you to Australia now, to Hanging Rock, the picnic at Hanging Rock, which is a fantastic Peter Weir film from 1975. Um, again, it's just a really beautifully made film on any level, quite apart from the sort of atmospheric, eerie nature of the story, but it's very intriguing. It came from a novel by a woman called Joan Lindsay, and she kind of intimated that there were elements of the story that were true. Nothing's ever really been proven, but on some of the extras on the DVDs and Blu-rays, when she's interviewed, you, you get the sense that there's some basis of reality to this quite disturbing story of a school party that goes to this Aboriginal ancient rock and three girls disappear and it's just this feeling of time space atmosphere sound light heat it's very very evocative and it's a beautiful film on multiple levels it goes into class it goes into a little bit about race it goes into kind of time slip i think it's just a beautiful piece of work just even in terms of the performances, Rachel Roberts, this grand dame of acting, arrived to play Mrs. Appleyard, the headmistress of the school, and she bought this incredible wig herself that she said, I am wearing this wig. <laughs> no one will stop me wearing this wig. It was this massive thing which has a character all of its own, and she was a renowned heavy drinker. Uh, and the character actually at the end is turning to alcohol and I don't know it's just again for me films that have repeat viewing because there's sort of this puzzle you feel like if I watch it again maybe I'm going to get closer to sort of unraveling this mystery I just I think it's a fantastic film Great one. Okay. Uh, Neil, your number three was Poltergeist. It was. As was Tim's. Uh, my number three, hold on to your hat here, Tim. Here we go. Now, you can't have a ghost top ten, a ghost movie top ten, without having a Christmas carol. So you choose what Christmas carol do I choose? And, I, of course, I chose a Muppet Christmas carol. You have to, as it's the greatest. <laughs> Bye, Tim. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> now, I only discovered this movie probably this time last year. I'd never seen it. And um, obviously it's a Christmas carol with Muppets. There isn't really anything. And Michael Caine. What more do you need? What more needs to be said? But I feel with sure. ghost movies, you have to have a Christmas carol in there somewhere. So that's the one I've chosen. And we'll move on. Anyway, Tim, <laughs> you're number two, please. You know what? Having said that very, very quickly, I took my kids last year to see uh, a Muppets Christmas carol um, with a full orchestra. Oh, wow. And, uh, oh. Joy absolute joy i can imagine that's all i have to say. it was a it was a lovely evening out i bet it was <laughs> right number two. number two so i'm going to number two 1964 japan 
and we're going to Quaidan, which is the just one of the most masterpiece piece of Japanese ghost filmmaking um, from uh, from Kobayashi. It's four uh, four separate stories loosely based around Lafadio Hearn, who was an English um, uh, traveler in Japan at the time of uh, the sort of feudal period of Japan, and he collected a lot of folk tales and a lot of ghost stories and it's the these that they are that are used as the basis for the four almost pop it's a portmanteau film basically it's like an amicus portmanteau film but set in japan and it was at the time the most expensive japanese film the sets are enormous it is beautiful and lush and all in kind of technicolor but it is creepy as fuck and it is glorious there's a film there's one called the black hair um which is uh, this this Ronin who comes back sees this woman with black hair that kind of uh, the tropes you will then see in Ringu and things like that you will see in this film of the woman with the black hair that completely covers her face and just appears in a room and shifts around and never moves um, and then there's one called the woman of the snow where it's just uh, a woman is, uh, again another travelling samurai a Ronin is trapped inside this uh, hut whilst this blizzard comes in and the woman of the snow appears um it's just eerie and beautiful and there are so many things that come from it that it's 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 a glorious glorious piece of filmmaking and i would highly recommend if you've never seen it dip into it don't be afraid it's a long film um and obviously it's Jap you know japanese in 1964 but it's it's well worth it. You will be eminently rewarded. Yeah. Is it the kind of sorry? I was going to say, is it the kind of thing that's on streaming somewhere that you can see it, or it's on BFI? Oh right, BFI must buy. Yeah. Okay. I watched it about three or four weeks ago. It's an absolutely amazing film. Glorious. It's all all studio filmed, but the sets are incredible. They've got, you know, boats and you name it, massive kind of rotting fortresses. And yeah, it's really beautiful. Kind of the pace of it as well is very mesmeric. It's a long film, but you kind of get drawn into this very wow. slow, haunting pace. Yeah, it wow. doesn't carry itself off. It's a, it's a very slow pace, which gives it that sense of being like an old fashioned ghost story. It's yeah, yeah. It's, just to be kind of led into the atmosphere and just kind of feel the shifts and the changes rather than jump scare, move on, fright. It's just eerie. Oh, it's wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay. Lovely. I'm going to have to watch that. I've heard of it, um, but yeah, I've never seen it. So that's gone straight to the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Justin, you're number two then, please. We're back on television. Sorry, apologies. Um, so... It's 1979. I'm in my little bedroom at night. I've borrowed my parents' little white plastic television, colour television. Shouldn't really be up watching anything at night. I've got the sound on really low. And I've just turned the telly on. And this very, very creepy thing that had always stayed with me afterwards was playing. It was... Vermeer-type interiors, black and white tiles, harpsichord music, this kind of very dry narration by Charles Gray, who plays the very sinister evil character in Devil Rides Out and also played a Bond villain. So this very kind of 
mercurial voice. Um, and it tells, it's basically the, the, the show is Shulkin the Painter, and it was part of the omnibus strand, I believe. But um, it's it's a Sheridan Le Fanu ghost story. Very, very creepy. And it's all filmed beautifully like these Dutch masters paintings. And it tells a very, very kind of ghoulish story of a woman that is basically married off to a dead man. And I never knew what it was called. I kind of watched this thing almost under the covers, sort of fascinated by it. And because it had this documentary feel to it, it just felt completely real. And then, you know, I went to bed really frightened and I never knew what it was called because I hadn't seen the beginning of this thing. And years and years later, I was on a kind of forum of um, nerdy people like me who were looking for lost television things that people might have in their collections. So I just described it and I said, oh, this, this creepy thing, black and white tiles, Vermeer. And somebody said, oh, I've got it. Yeah, Shulkin the painter. So I got this disc through the post and watched this thing. And it's it's still very, very scary, very eerie. And it's, yeah, it's a great piece of work. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's great. I remember watching that for the first time and thinking exactly the same. It just the measure. It was so measured. It was so creepy. It didn't try and trick you in any way. It was it just the the whole thing was like, this is very, very unsettling and eerie. And everything about it is unhurried and rushed. And it is. It's got that coldness of a, of a, of a painting. Um, but yeah, it's great. It's really good. Okay, thank you very much for that. Uh, Neil, you're number two. So we're going to go mainstream Hollywood for this one. It's Ghostbusters. Um, Quite simply, it's one of my favourite comedies. I think it's a great film that works. I mean, we don't need to say the story. Most people have seen it. Most people know it. But it still holds up to me today as a hilarious film. Um, And funny, great performances all round. You know, they've tried to recreate it. I mean, they did quite well with the recent reboot. I think they did all right, but it's still not got the same magic as that first movie. Even the second one hasn't. So we couldn't have a film, a, a list about ghosts without Ghostbusters on there, in my opinion. <laughs> yes. no, it's a great film, you're right. It is. Bill sublime in it. Mm. One of those perfect movies, isn't it? One it of those is. Perfect movies. Um, I agree with you, Neil. I do. <laughs> I'm scared to say anything because <laughs> I just in the bottom right hand corner I'm seeing Tim with that. Do it. <laughs> anyway, uh my number two, I'm not gonna say anything about it because I've said it something about this movie nearly every podcast we've ever done. And uh it only occurred to me very late in the game that it was about ghosts. Um and it's Field of Dreams, the Kevin Costner movie. It's full of ghosts. And um like I say, I've spoken about this movie probably more than any other movie in all of the 108 episodes that we've done of this podcast. So if you want to hear my opinions on this movie that I think was number two in my movies of all time, maybe number three, um, I love this movie. And that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say about that, Tim. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> I've, I've never seen it. You've never seen it. Ever oh, seen it? I would recommend it. It's a beautiful. It's a lovely film. It's a it beautiful. really is a lovely film. 
Right, before we re reveal our number ones, um, we're all going to give you our rundowns. And uh, I've got to look at Tim's face one more time while I say <laughs> that for number 10. But we'll, say, we'll save that. Tim, if you'd like to give us your 10 to 2, then Justin, then Neil, then I'll do the same. Right, I've done that classic thing where you go, oh, I'll just put that away now. I'm now a <laughs> again. Oh, hang on, where, where do I put the list? Here we go. Okay. Apologies. Okay, here we go. So uh, at number 10, session nine, Brad Anderson from 2001. Uh, number nine, The Entity, uh, Barbara Hershey, 1980s. Uh, where else are we? Number seven, number seven, Under the Shadow. Uh, Arrange 16. Is that right? Yeah, that was number eight. That was number eight. Yeah. Number seven. Ah, number seven was the ghost train. Is that right? That's right. Yes, absolutely. Number seven, ghost train. Arthur Askey, 1941. Um, number six, Carnival of Souls, 1962. Number five, The Devil's Backbone. Uh, number three was Poltergeist. Number four, The Fog. <laughs> <laughs> You can tell I haven't numbered these at all. I've just together. <laughs> That's fine. And, and number two, uh, Quaidan. Lovely, thank you, uh, Justin. Your ten to two, please. All right, I'm going to try and remember it as well. Okay, <laughs> there you go. It's a thing. Yeah. So number ten was Beasts. Correct. Reese Baby, written by Nigel Neal. Uh, number nine, I believe, was Mulholland Drive, David Lynch. Yep. Number eight was Shades of Darkness, Seaton's Aunt episode, Walter Delamere. Uh, number seven, I think, was Dead of Night. Was right, yes. <laughs> yep. Okay. Number six was a series called Shadows, The Other Window episode. Uh, number five was... Uh, Play for today, a photograph. Uh, number five was the appointment. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Number five, the appointment. Uh, number four, therefore, was picnic at Hanging Rock. That no, was, uh, that was a photograph. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> right. okay. Photograph. This ben. is harder than the quiz. <laughs> uh, number three must have been picnic hanging rock. It number was. Shulkin, the painter. Wonderful, Neil. So number 10, The Woman in Black. Number nine, I went for Ghost Stories. Number eight, Ringu. Number seven, The Frighteners. Number six, Ghost. Number five, The Grudge. Number four, Beetlejuice. Number three, Poltergeist. And number two, Ghostbusters. Wonderful. And the way I've done mine is I've done my number one at number 10. That's right, how yeah. I've done it, just to change it over a little bit. So at number one, The Shining. At number nine, The Blair Witch Project. <laughs> Eight, Poltergeist. Seven, Beetlejuice. Six, The Sixth Sense. Five, Ghost. Four, Ghost Town, uh, which will be in the BFI's top ten of greatest ever movies. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it will. Three, The Muppet Christmas Carol. And number two, Field of Dreams. So, Tim, what is your number one ghost movie of all time? It's Ghost it's Town, isn't it? It's Ghost Town. It's Ghost Town after all of that. It is. It is Ghost Town. It's a uh, adventure in. No, it's. Uh, it's obviously for me. It's The Shining. It just stands. I'm going to say I'm, that's my number one as well, Pav. Because we might as well God talk about it. God damn it! it. <laughs> <laughs> How can it not be? How can it not be? It's just. It's just superb. It's mm. Coop. It's best. He destroyed cameras to make that film. He, I mean, there's just so much. The mythology also of the film is 
just above and beyond almost what the film is is and of itself. It's just extraordinary. It it does everything you would want it to do. It's creepy. The Penderecki soundtrack as well, that kind of creaking, screeching sound. Daniel Torrance going down the corridor, seeing the Brady twins, the Grady twins rather, and it's all of it is just for me. It's it's a perfect ghost film because you just feel uneasy. There's just an unease, and it's an unease that is not just you're just uneasy. It's otherworldly. There is something dangerous mm. out there, in there, watching you. It's around everywhere. You don't know if you can hide because it will find you. It's yeah, it's all over the place. I uh, it really I, is. And I never understood, and I still to this day, I mean, I've read the book and I understand that it's a lot different to what the book is, The Shining, but I still don't understand how Stephen King hates The Shining, Kubrick's The Shining. I, I just don't. Changed it so much. He took away, was it the topiary animals? That's right. Away all of that, which you kind of think, I remember seeing that then the TV remake, that sort of mm. like, or parter of The Shining, where they put in the topiary animals and you go, well, I can mm. see why. Because when you read it, quite scary but then when you see you know a topiary elephant just go it it loses a bit of the sort of, of magic a little but um but no yeah. great thing is you're right you i mean do you know what i mean i know you're right you are right what have you done i, I know what? you're right when you say that when you explain it like that i know you're right you know so I apologise, is all I can say to all the <laughs> thousands of listeners and uh, and to you, Tim, more than anything else, because I don't think I've ever disappointed a, a guest more in 109 episodes. I think, I think you're about to disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's hear Justin's number one first. What have you got, Justin? Okay, I'm going for Night of the Demon. Oh, oh. yeah, great movie. Which I watched last night, actually, just to refresh my memory of, you know, was it the best spooky film? It is a really, really fantastic film. It's got so many set pieces, you know, it could be multiple films. There's so many fantastic set moments that happen. Carswell, the villain, is this genuinely creepy man who inhabits the film and there's something kind of avuncular about him and he's got his charming sort of slightly dotty mother played by Athena Soiler and there's something very very creepy even about that relationship you know she knows that he's doing terrible things and she's sort of trying to stop him and trying to make these phone calls to stop the curse that he's put in place there's a fantastic sequence where a laborer who has gone mad and killed somebody is kind of injected with uh, drugs and hypnotised and goes back into sort of a trauma of this curse that has affected him, the demon he's seen. There's a fantastic, very creepy um, seance where a man suddenly starts talking in a little girl's voice and you hear those classic words at the beginning of the Kate Bush Hounds of Love song, it's in the trees, it's coming. Morris Denham has a very brief appearance at the beginning of the film and then dies horribly. Yeah, I just think it's a fantastic film and it kind of it has elements of folklore. There's a really wonderful bit that actually was taken out of the US version for some reason, 
but the character, the main character, who is a psychical researcher, a psychologist, he goes into the country and he meets this family in a kind of old, rundown farmhouse with beams, and they're sitting there like sort of Puritans, talking about the man, the, the son who has gone mad and killed somebody. And it's just got this kind of feeling of real kind of roots of folklore and dark magic and I, yeah I just it's a film that I saw when I was probably about 18 they did this fantastic double bill one night of Night of the Demon followed by The Innocents which are two of my favourite films and yeah I just love it it's a great movie I saw that on movie drone Tim that film for the first time well actually yeah, yeah. yeah. there you go yeah. okay <laughs> Let me let me bring this home then with my number one. I mean, Neil's already mentioned it anyway. It's, for me, it's a perfect movie. It's Ghostbusters. That's my number one. We've already spoken about it. Tim, thank you very much for the, the surname. <laughs> there. Uh, let's quickly run through these honourable mentions. Aaron Capone Langan said, absolute favourite other than Ghostbusters is The Frighteners. Good acting by Michael J. Fox. Good mm -hmm. story. Decent effects for the time. Overall, good cast too. A great mix of scares, creepiness and comedy. For pure scares, I've always been fond of the original Poltergeist. It still creeps me out when Diane, Joe Beth Williams, falls into the dugout pool in the rain. She's in the water and the caskets and bodies start appearing and surround her. Stu Grant, Sixth Sense, The Shining, Ghostbusters, 13 Ghosts, Ringu, Tale of Two Sisters, Poltergeist, Beetlejuice, House on the Haunted Hill, and Ju-On. Kerry and Gary Curtis, absolute favourite is The Conjuring, so well done. Not sure this qualifies as a ghost story. The original Amityville Horror is one of my favourites. Scared me when I was a child, but still gives me goosebumps today. Although not very well received, I truly enjoyed 13 Ghosts. Jennifer Lof Fanouf. 1963's The Haunting scared the crap out of me when I was a kid, and it still gives me chills. Joe Talbot, uh, sorry, Joy Talbot, I can't watch scary movies, so my favourite one is The Canterbury Ghost. Uh, Gabrielle Gonzalez, The Entity, still can't find a copy of that movie or find how to stream it. It's hard to watch, scared the hell out of me as a kid. And Stephanie Fitzpatrick, Ghost and Haunting of Hell House. I feel that one was a trek right from number 10. You know, I do feel <laughs> I do I do feel I had to battle for every single one of those decisions. <laughs> but um guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for um sharing your I feel like we've Neil, our list has got massively um uh, improved and longer, definitely, with some stuff that we need to catch up on without a shadow of a doubt. Before we say our proper goodbyes, Neil. Do you want to tell everybody how they can get in touch with us and uh, all that gubbins? Absolutely, I will. You can find us on all the social medias at Top 10 Pods. Give us a click, give us a like, give us a follow, give us whatever it is you do on there. Email us at top10pods at hotmail.com. You can come help support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash top 10 pods, where you could be a guest yourself as one of the rewards. And please do check out all of the links via the link tree. Uh, link tree. You can find the link in the show notes. And then do please give us a like, give us a review, give us a rating, whatever it is you do on the, wherever you get your podcasts from. Wonderful. And also remember the link for the Folklands podcast will be in the show notes. So click on that, subscribe, whether it's Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and have a listen to the guys podcast because it is fantastic. So Justin, Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Um, just keep doing what you're doing. 
when it comes to your acting, obviously, and when it comes to the podcast, get out there and find all the ghosties and ghoulies. Thank you very much. We certainly will. Yeah. <laughs> good, <laughs> good. Good. And uh, I feel I, I will send you via email, Tim, uh, a thousand lines saying The Shining should have been my number one. Maybe and I'll to reasons that. why it should have and been your number one. That's, that's the thing. I'm just going to have to, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I've just never heard anything quite like it in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I, just... I mean, look. I'm just a bit disappointed. Bit disappointed. You could have a go at Justin because it wasn't even in his top ten. At least it was my number ten. Yeah, but when you put some of the things, I'm not even going to some of the things. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Justin, Tim, Neil, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank uh, you, thank you, Justin, thank you, Tim. Great to see you guys. Yes, thank you very much, everybody, for watching and listening. And I am now going to stand in the corner like Blair Witch Project and uh, and just take my punishment. Thank you very much. Okay.